Hi friends, this is Kevin Joseph O'Connor, and I wanted to thank you for spending your time with me here. On this episode of Spirit of Play, I had the pleasure of sitting down with the fascinating Jordan Brill. He is a tattoo artist here in Nashville. We sat down in my painting studio at home, complete with barking dogs for an immersive audio experience. As you will discover listening to this episode, Jordan's story is filled with surprises and unanticipated changes of direction in his life. We talk about growing up in the 90s, him spending time in China, being a chef in New York, and finally landing in Nashville with his wife and tattooing full-time. Jordan is funny, engaging, he's quick-witted, and I hope that you enjoy where this conversation takes us. Find Jordan online at Jordan Brill Tattoos on Instagram. If you enjoy this podcast, let me know. Send me a carrier pigeon or a smoke signal or just message me on Instagram at Kevin underscore Joseph. Let me know who's inspiring you right now and who I should sit down with next. Thanks for listening. First of all, I'm super honored that you wanted to come over and hang out and chat and talk about your experiences and your story, and I'm really interested to learn more about you. Cool. So I'm honored to have you. Um, I know that the overarching concept behind this project is studying creativity in people's stories and Mm -hmm. the output of that Mm -hmm. and how we all deal with roadblocks and whatever that looks like. But I was thinking earlier about how really fundamentally like nurturing a sense of curiosity is what I just, the older I get, the more I'm interested in, like, what are you curious, curious about? And where does, where does curiosity get you, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyways, I want to give you the floor. I want to give you as much room as you want and time as you want. I just want you to feel like you can, you can tell as much of your story as you want and whatever that looks like. And we'll just meander and see where it goes. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, like, I wanted to nerd out and do prep, you know, and then I was like, I probably shouldn't because, I don't know, shooting from the hip is pretty cool. Yeah. You know, I structure everything else in my life, so I let loose a little bit. Proud of you. That's (laughs) awesome. Um, I... Yeah, I th- I think I could go one of two ways where it's either I will obsessively, compulsively, detail-oriented just research into a hole where I just become anxious that I've not researched enough. And then you kind of have to step back and be like, well, what's the point of this? Is it is it to give a presentation on Jordan Brill or is it about having a relationship and having a conversation about you know who we are and where we are? And sure. I think the organic way is ninety nine point nine 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 percent just shooting from the hip. Let's just let's just dive in. Sweet man. So a minute ago you said you grew up between New York and China. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah, so um I'm from the Rochester Buffalo area. Okay. Which is like next to the Canadian border. Yeah. Very far removed from like the New York City, like metropolitan. I mean, Rochester is a city for sure, and so is Buffalo, but... Um, it's really beautiful up there. It is, dude. I love where I'm from, and it, like... I love what it does to people. Like, mm. it makes people very polite. It makes people patient, because your life's so inconvenient. 
<laughs> it's always snowing. It's always cold. It's wet. Everything rots because of all the moisture in the air. Huh. There's bugs everywhere. I grew up without air conditioning in my home. So our summers are about as humid as here in Nashville, uh-huh. except, you know, it's like the same temperature, except our <laughs> winters get like, you know, to single digits Brutal. or yeah. Yeah. So, um, I love where I'm from. Uh, I think it made me a strong person, uh, willing to put up with a lot. Uh-huh. And, uh, so where China comes in is when I was around, I just remember the year I was born in 88. So must've been 88. Yeah. 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 So I'm about to be 33 actually next Monday or something. Happy early birthday. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. 33. Um, my dad worked for Kodak. One of the few jobs, you know, Rochester is part of the Rust Belt. Uh huh. There used to be all these jobs there. And then they're basically all gone now. So you take what you can get. My dad had four kids at home and a wife that stayed home. Uh-huh. And he built our house. And there was one thing he knew how to do. And that was like notes the grindstone. So it was not uncommon for my dad to work, you know, <laughs> 40 hours. is like my dad worked double that. You yeah. know what I mean? 80. Wow. 90 hour work weeks. My dad worked for Kodak, um, didn't go to college, uh, got out of high school by the skin of his teeth, you know, by his own words, but smart, dude. My dad's so smart. He was too smart for school, basically. So he's done, he's succeeded at everything he ever did. But up there, like I said, slim pickings. So my dad works for Kodak as what they call a pipe fitter. He did an apprenticeship. It's like welding, uh-huh. industrial plumbing. Sure. So Kodak, they're running pipes of chemicals from this room to that room. They're making film. Wow. You know, uh, I don't know much about You don't think film. about them doing much more than like cameras, but then like there's this whole chemical and engineering aspect of the whole thing. I remember I went a couple times to like bring your kid to work day. And seeing a roll of film the size of this room, dude, like on a spindle, like they're like unrolling it and cutting it. And it was just like, whoa, dude. And maybe it was just the celluloid part of it, but it was cool. That's so cool. I would have. Yeah. So that's what my dad did for a long time. Uh, Like I said, four kids at home. I recently like went over this because the timeline was a little uh, mixed up in my head. But basically at some point. My dad had worked so hard and he's such a charming guy and so smart and everybody got along with him and stuff. They just said, would you like to become an engineer in Kodak? No way. And he's like, do I have to go to school? They're like, no, we'll, we'll, t- we'll make you, uh, I think it was like, he said one or two math courses uh-huh. and they taught it. Everything else was like, you'll learn on the job. So my dad's a self-made engineer. That's unheard of. That's crazy. He's amazing, dude. Yeah. My dad's like, he's awesome. And he, it wound up, he ended up being so good at his job that they went to build a factory for film because Kodak was it, you know, in film. You know, we grew up in the 90s, you and I. So, I mean, what? What are you going to use a Fuji disposable camera, dude? (laughs) No, it's Kodak everything. Yeah. 
So they were building a film factory in a city called Xiamen, China. It's in Fujian province. Um, if you're looking at China, it's in the southeast. If you would go to the island of Taiwan, go uh, straight, like, you know, what would that be? Horizontally, whether it's latitude or longitude. I think it's technically like a longitudinal line because okay. maybe I'm wrong. Whatever, whichever one goes left to right, yeah, <laughs> east to west, um, wherever you hit China, like that's basically Xiamen. So it's an that, island. Okay. It's so an they island. They built a factory on an island. Essentially, it was, it was, um, I think technically on the mainland, but there was like a bridge. Like we lived in Xiamen, and then. Uh, How long were you there? Uh. For that initial stint, it was six months. We moved there, and I can't ever forget this, and neither can you. December 31st, 1999. Ring any bells? <laughs> we thought the world was going to yeah. end when the clocks flipped over. So where were you? So we arrive in Xiamen, China on December 31st, 1999. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like, uh, oh, <laughs> this is either going to be like the coolest thing ever or the whole I mean, world. We all had Y2K play. parties, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I remember. People and, were like, uh, who knows what's going to happen? Everything's going to crash and shut down. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it was the 90s, so might as well have. <laughs> the 90s were rough, dude. Well, um, the world didn't end. And we lived for six months in China. Okay. Um, my dad, initially, they, when they proposed it to him, they're like, yeah, this job's going to be sick. You'll get time and a half pay the whole time you're there. Wow. We'll pay for everything. And my dad, being a family man, was like, I can't be away from my kids for six months or a year, however long this assignment is. And they said, bring them. Wow. So there's an international school there. It's still there today. XIS, Xiamen International School. They probably changed the name now. But um, most of our teachers were like locals, local Chinese that spoke English. And uh, we took Chinese classes. So Mandarin is technically my second language. Do you speak it still? I mean, how long? I, I still speak it. Um, you were there for six months and then I guess you guys came back. Yeah. So I've actually been to, I lived there on three separate occasions, okay. always in the same city, believe it or not. Um, Six months when I was like, whatever, 11, yeah, something like that. Then uh, we went home and dude, we're from like farm country. So like everybody thought it was weird that we'd been to a different country and like, you know, they just didn't get York it. Trying to figure out how to reacclimate you. Right. Yeah. And like, dude, when you're in school, that's all there is, you know? Sure. Like. I mean, that's a long I'm, break from your own social interactions that's a long break from friends and like worlds have happened in their lives mm -hmm. and you come back and it, how is how is reacclimating what was that i think dude like have you traveled at all a little bit but not when i was young right, right. yeah i think yeah i think you're right like young is even more this way dude you realize like there's not like, for me, I grew up in this little town called Bergen, New York. There is a whole world outside of our population of 10,000 people or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, my school was tiny, dude. Tiny. 
Um, my graduating class, if I remember correctly, was like 73, something like that. Yeah. I and the name of my school is town. Byron Dash Burgeon. Two different towns. Two different towns to make All it the kids. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> and still my school was that small. So I came back and I was just like, for a while I was like, oh, none of this matters. You know what I mean? Like these people think that like, you know, what so-and-so, we used to have this festival every summer, for example. There's one main street in Virgin mm. and uh, we didn't live there. I used to have to ride my bike like 20 minutes into town to like see anybody. Yeah. You know, we were on a country road with uh for the longest time, like there were only three houses on the road. Wow. Two of them were owned by the same family. And then there was us and my dad owned like 80 acres of <laughs> land that he rented to a corn farmer. But yeah, I was just like, none of this matters. And so the, why I bring up the park festival, they would have this festival every summer. It was like, I, I can't remember if it was called the Burden park festival or like park days like maybe they were both can't remember i'm getting old dude 33 next week <laughs> but that was like it for these kids they're like dude all right i'm gonna get my silk shirt with the skulls and yin yangs on it <laughs> i'm gonna get my i'm gonna make sure i got pegs on the front and back of my mongoose that's right mongoose <laughs> i'm gonna steal half of a cigarette out of the ashtray from my mom and i'm gonna freaking be the king of virgin park days yeah and then like uh, we just didn't care after that so the first time i have two older sisters we're all separated by around two years so if i was 11 my oldest sister was probably like 16 okay something like crucial age she was like, I don't want to leave my friends. My life is over. Yeah, there was a lot that was already set and concrete for her. Like her social life was com was even more established. Mm -hmm. And did she, did she go to China with you? Yeah, I mean, okay. what was she gonna stay home? <laughs> so she's like 16. My life is over. We get there, and she's like, This is the best thing ever. Huh. And all of us were like, this is the best thing ever. That's amazing. So fast forward, um, it must have been like, oh, four, something like that. Summer break, like I said, no friends around. So we basically just hung around our house, you know, with our lack of AC. <laughs> Roasting in the sun. But for us, like, you only get two months of summer in New York. So it's like hmm. the best two months of your life. Plus, my birthday happens in the summer. So yeah, you're not inside anyways. Yeah, dude. I wasn't wearing a shirt, shoes. That's my summer, dude. Just out in the woods with my little brother chopping down trees or whatever we did. And uh, so I am 15, 16 years old, something like that. And my dad comes home from work and he's got like a grin on his face. And he's like, guess what they asked me at work today? And we're all... All of us kids like are like, dude, tell me we're going back to China. And he's like, we're going back to China. We were all like, yeah. So this is the second time that you had been. Second time. So it had been a couple years in yeah. between. Okay. And since then, you know, the idea of China and like things that were different in our dreams and stuff had kind of become less important. They'd like faded away. So 
not completely, but like, it was like, yeah, I'll probably stay here for the rest of my life and go to college here and have children here and whatever. Sure. And so, yeah, we were super stoked to go back. So long story short, I did all of 11th grade of high school back in that same school, dude. Wow. As a matter of fact, this kid that was in my class when I was in sixth grade, he was a Korean guy. We're, we're still buddies to this day. He, he lived until recently in Portland. No way. Yeah, wow. and my sisters both live in Portland currently. Okay. So it was cool. Uh, hard to forget his name, Stanley Lee. <laughs> and he was like my best buddy when I was in sixth grade in China. He was still there. So you guys went through junior year together. Yeah. That's so cool. It was so cool, dude. That's so cool. And uh, so I did all of 11th grade, came back to the, the summit was about a year. We thought we were going to move to Beijing. It didn't end up happening. And I think because around that time, Kodak was realizing like, yeah, like this ain't going to last. You said this was like 04? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they completely tanked around 2007. So they're like, yeah, we can't keep expanding. So we come back to the States. I'm doing my senior year. I feel like a fish out of water, dude. Sure. Because now it's like fresh in my mind. Like I know I'm good at learning languages. I know I love to experience things that are different. American food sucks. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like all of these things. And I just wanted to see it all. I still want to see it all. I want to experience it all, you know? And, uh, Things that make me uncomfortable and stuff like that. So, um, I decided to go to college there. What do I have to lose? Okay. I didn't know what I was going to do. The same city that the factory was same in? Same city. Okay. I, all my friends were there, dude. Yeah. And, dude, at that time, it's not like this anymore, for sure. It's like, dude, if you're a white person, anything other than a native-born Chinese, it's like, you can get away with anything. So it was fun. I mean, mm. no, uh, at, the whole city's paved. So like, all I wanted to do was skateboard and play guitar at that point. Sure, yeah. Rock and roll was fresh. Actually, skateboarding, you know, skateboarding was huge when you and I were like 12, 13. That's yeah. the whole Tony Hawk thing. Right. Um, X Games, right? It had like just hit China. They were bonkers for skateboarding. So I like went back or went to college and I had brought a skateboard along and these kids were freaking nuts. They're like, yeah, I can't bring the mongoose back, but you can't bring <laughs> that skateboard. That deck's going to roll with you. Yeah, dude. Like That's they great. saw, I forget which deck it was. Like I had a girl board or something and uh -huh. they were like, they'd only seen it in magazines. You know what I oh, mean? Man. Like the American sure. way is like the best. So, um, skateboarding, there's no drinking, smoking, anything age. I mean, so. You got away with a lot. We got away with yeah. a lot, dude. And like, <laughs> you could kind of act like a fool and like, they'd be like, whatever, dude, they're freaking Americans. God love mm. them, dude. <laughs> That's funny. And, uh, they thought it was cool that I could speak their language. So. So you went to China and study and you, you went to college there mm -hmm. what did you study in college studied uh zhongwen chinese okay uh, i studied mandarin language um 
was not a good student at all. Okay. Um, all cards on the table, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I was an awful student, um, but it was dirt cheap and I learned a lot and made a lot of huge life decisions like around that time and like just being alone. Hmm. I was like, if, if I were kind of, and I'm still this way, dude. If I were absolved of responsibility, right? Like if I didn't have to pay the bills, which I didn't in China, what would I do? Hmm. You know, I wasn't like spending mommy and daddy's money like crazy or anything like that. It was just like, just exploring, you know, hmm. there were times when, I mean, it's the exchange rate at that time and just the cost of living out there. I mean, it's not as inflated, at least it wasn't at that point. Instead of riding the bus, which cost one quai, which at that time was about a sixth of a dollar. Okay. So like I could take ride the bus anywhere I wanted for what, 15 cents around there. Instead, I would skateboard it. Hmm. It'd take me like four hours and I would just like, <laughs> why not? I'm just going to like skate this entire city and see all the weird stuff it has to offer, you know, like fly by the seat of my pants. I lost my wallet at one point. Dude, just a funny story. Like, I still can't believe this to this day. I met this dude over there that had lost his passport. This American guy had lost his passport like 15 years ago and was just stuck in China, dude. You would, we would like go to these parties and you'd see this weird, gangly, redheaded dude. And I mean, he's like six foot something and the tallest person in China is like five nine. So... (laughs) And he would like always be like doing like that weird dance where like you pretend you have an invisible ball sure, yeah. and he would like throw a clap. I was like, yo, this dude is on some kind of like, <laughs> DMT or something, dude. He sees a lot. We don't. Yeah. Oh man. So anyway, I wind up talking to him one day and I couldn't believe that. I, I tracked him down years later on Facebook, like probably 15 years ago, whatever it was, and figured out that he eventually made it back to the U.S. But... Ah, man. I mean, he found something to keep himself busy. He found (laughs) something to keep holding him there besides losing his passport, surely. Legend has it he's still juggling that ball to this day. Legend has it he stayed there for 16 years. (laughs) Yo, but he perfected that dance. (laughs) Did you ever get your wallet back? I did not get my wallet back. No. It was wild. So at that time, there was... uh, one ATM in the city that was uh, an international bank. So at that time, I only had a debit card. And I had like money in the US. And so I could travel to this one ATM in the city and withdraw cash in Chinese currency, renminbi. I lost that debit card. What are my parents going to try and mail it? through snail mail and like give me another debit card like through China where they will steal anything and everything. No. So we figured out, have you ever heard of MoneyGram? Yeah. Dude, <laughs> this is crazy. I used to have to go to this one specific bank in the city. Luckily it wasn't too far from college. I would ride my skateboard there. It'd only take like two hours, dude. <laughs> what else are you gonna do? And uh I would have this MoneyGram ready. I think we would email about it. My parents. That sounds right. We, yeah. Because yeah, like, I don't even think I had 
Facebook. I know I had MySpace, dude. Everybody wanted to be my friend on MySpace. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, at least, uh, what was his name? Tom? Yeah, at least you had Tom on your side. Yeah, he I friended guess, me. Of course he did. <laughs> but anyway, I used to have to wait in um, this one specific bank for like hours and like sticking out like a sore thumb. Everybody's staring at the white guy wearing what I'm about and I would receive like... I mean, what appeared to be large amounts of money. Really, it was just U.S. currency <gasps> translated. Because I would like, dude, I can't do this like once a week. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'd be there for hours. And then I'd have to like low-key get back to college with like these wads of cash. I was cash wondering money. how you snuck out of there. Yo, baggy yeah. pants. It was 2006. So <laughs> <laughs> I had my pipes uh, on, dude. Yeah, the times were merciful. Uh, <laughs> So so that's it, dude. That was my. I stayed there for college for like. Did you a year graduate? And a half. No. You, a, a year and a half. Okay. No, I got um. Like, this certificate that said, he went to class. <laughs> it's got my picture on it, that. dude. It's. Do you still you have know, that? I do. Good. That's it was great. cool. So, was your family in China at this time, or was it just you in college? Just me in college. And okay. Loving every minute. Yeah. All right. So they had already come back to New York. Yeah. Yeah. They were still in uh, Rochester. Um, so actually, right about the time when I headed to China, my dad lost his job at Kodak finally after 27 years. Wow. They had to let him go. So unfortunately, my dad's still working. Uh, he's about to retire, though. Good for him. Yeah. Man, hardworking men. My dad works harder than anybody i know i get it really yeah do you know anything about the enneagram yeah are you yeah. like into I, it i know enough to probably confuse someone about it but we've talked really briefly at some point i feel like it's come up in conversation texting or something um i'm a five i think uh i'm not gonna assume what what is your enneagram orientation or however you're gonna reference that my orientation would be uh enneagram one through and through is that like a one with a one wing you're just like, <laughs> there's a right way to do something uh it kind of yeah um if we want to get technical i believe i'm a enneagram one wing two okay but what i just learned is that subtype I am a social subtype, so. Oh, I don't know anything about that. Oh, dude. Uh, I just, I just know I'm a, a five, heavy wing four. I figured you were a four, actually. That's cool. Man, I'm. I get so in my head and so analytical and so like, uh, process driven that I just, it, it's got to be a five, wing four, mm -hmm. coming at it from a highly analytical side. But yeah. Obviously, there's color on the walls. It's there's a lot of four going on. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of four going on. Yeah, it seemed a little too fourry in here when I walked in. Uh, all right, that's cool. We'll reevaluate. Uh, my dad's a one as okay. well, so he passed that on to me for better or for worse. Do you know anything about your father's Instagram or uh, Instagram? Uh, this is the world we live in, dude. I know. Um, as far as Enneagram, I, th I think probably a six. Yeah. I think 
very cautious in a really helpful way where you kind of sorry the dog man she'll calm down i love him okay that's great you haven't even met him um thinking about all sides of things Mm -hmm. kind of in a way that a nine could my wife is a nine and a six that is very con- concerned in a protective way of of how things could play out um, in a very caring way. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's that fear of uh, I don't want my actions today to affect others in a detrimental way. You know, I need to provide. You know, sixes can be extremely hard workers because it's like. Yeah. I will not let my family fail. You know what I mean? For uh, all of my life, my dad worked as a physical therapist. And so someone who's a six who can think about injury in a really constructive way, I think probably he was right where he needed to be in that profession. Um, He's also very artistic and very articulate. But as far as being able to help others and foresee things others may not. Um, Helping people recover from injury seems like it's an ideal thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I recently was listening to either a podcast or something about uh, the Enneagram. And this fellow was saying that, like, you know, in America, we cherish threes, basically. Oh, they go get, get the achievers. get the job done. Yeah, I don't care. Just quick and dirty, dude. Make it cheap. Make it fast. Make it flashy. Get people's attention. It doesn't matter, you know, necessarily the integrity. I mean, look, you buy a you buy a DVD player. It only lasts for two years, but it was cheap and it looked cool. Or I got that uh, furniture from IKEA. It's a piece of crap. We all know <laughs> it, but it. It does the job and it looks. Yeah. It looks like we're rich. We're not, right? Like, and he said, if you're going to start a business, although that threeness is very cherished, dude, you know, like people try and say, unfortunately, sometimes people say, you know, this Enneagram number, I like can't do it. You know, I can't be around these kinds of people or, you know, the, the, these particular cons of this person, this person's personality, um, they're so bad. And it's like, really, we all have pros and cons. So he said, dude, who do you want doing your risk management mm. sixes? Yeah, for sure. You know, who do you want being the dreamers? You know, probably the sevens. Who do you want doing your customer support? The twos? Yeah. Who do you want managing ones? Eights. Yeah, you I know? worked closely alongside an eight for a couple of years. And I had a really hard time for a while because we did not, like we communicated over each other. And when that, when, when that colleague understood how deep my research and and analysis would go on projects, my voice became heard. And when I learned to speak like absolutely to the point 
no fluff, very, very direct bullet point. Uh, we understood each other. And I think understanding, um, I mean, people have a lot to say about the Enneagram, but at least understanding that we hear things and interpret things in different ways and you can understand and learn how to communicate with those people. Mm -hmm. That's really, really important. And there's a lot of value in that. Or you can spend the rest of your life hiding and saying the world is wrong, not me. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? What a miserable life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, uh, I've read a number of books. I've always read a number of books, but I read a number of books about um, that particular subject because it was incredibly helpful for me, hmm. making me a healthier person. I could talk about it all day, honestly, and I try not to because mm -hmm. I, I like am so grateful for like the gift that it has given me. But yeah, it's changed my my wife and I's marriage. We've found ways to communicate when we did not understand the uh, maybe the motivations behind actions and that we both interpret situations differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just how you communicate and how you relate to people and understanding your own motivations more. Yeah, it's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, There's this term that they use in at least one of the books that I've read. You know those directional arrows in, in on the Enneagram? Because it's like oh, that sure. shape and it's yeah. like... I'm a five in times of stress. I go, where do you go again? Man, where do I go? Uh, I don't remember where mine. I can tell you mine. Okay. Uh, when I'm, when I'm stressed out, I go to four. Okay. Um, and when I, the negative aspects of a four, not like four suck, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the negative aspects. And when I am growing, I go to a seven. Um, hmm. I can elaborate more on that, but the the point is they use this term disintegration or integration. It explains why when you were in college and thriving, you just wanted to explore because that's exactly. the seven, just like, let me just try new things and see what's going on. Exactly. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, once I actually, um, hmm. I come, I seem to come across them a lot and, uh, not to be biased, but uh. <laughs> they're some of my favorite people that I meet huh. because there's no BS. It's just like we mm. talk very matter of fact, maybe a little rough. Um, we just exchange information. Um, I have found over the years that a lot of people uh, to, to others that I have worked with, Dude, I had before I was in the tattoo business because you can't really get promoted in the tattoo business. You know, you kind of promote yourself, but promoted. I always got promoted yeah. in every job, okay. like immediately. They're like, oh, you're the new manager. I'm like, yeah. I've been here two weeks. I always got promoted. My coworkers hated me. They always thought I was a know-it-all, that I was arrogant. But dude, if you could get, if you could crawl up inside here, dude, the way a one thinks of themselves is like, we are this like disgusting worm peon that needs to improve so much. Mm. And that's why I say learning that aspect of myself has been so good. So mm. integrating I mean, seven is great. Integrating those seven 
that fervor for life and allowing myself, forgiving myself or grace, however you want to call it. You can stop and smell the roses. I just got back from vacation. Uh, it was great. What'd you do? I went to Austin, Texas. Love Austin. Uh, I think it was my second time there. It was awesome. Uh, the guy that gave me my first tattoo job ever, he started a shop in Whittier, California, which is in LA County, technically. Okay. Um, his name's Josue Jimenez. He is a native Texan. Uh, he moved to Austin a few years back and just this past year, he decided to open his own shop. Our old coworker from LA moved to Austin to work for him. And then I came and did a guest spot up there. Oh, that's so rad. So the original three members of this crew were together after seven years. That's it so was cool. so cool, dude. So how long were you in Austin? I was there for like a week. Were you tattooing the whole time? No. And that's, the maturity okay. you know that's me saying listen like i know there's like you know a metaphorical hundred dollar bill being waved in front of me yeah but i'm not gonna take it i can't afford to take that you mm -hmm. know what i mean uh as a matter of fact i had a mishap i take a lot of notes i i have over a hundred notes in my phone you know of like to organize these thoughts yeah, I take a lot of notes too. Do you? Yeah, obsessively. The hard part is going back and like reading through and organizing and synthesizing. Actually but utilizing the note. 100%. But yeah, I take notes constantly. Well, I made this note in my phone. There are these guys that have a band uh, in Austin, Texas. Shout out Under the Rug. And, uh, is that the band name under the rug? Yes. Okay. It's a, it's a good name. Pet project for these guys that are uh, really smart. Uh, they are producers as well. Okay. And this is just like a band for fun. And love that. They commissioned me last year to do some, uh, or this past year, I should say, to do some uh, design album artwork, kind of in the tattoo That's genre. So cool. So I did that for them, and. Uh, they always said after the project was done, dude, if you're ever in Austin, we'd love to get tattooed by you. Mm. I have their number. So I texted them. Hey, I'm thinking about coming to Austin. Would you guys want to get tattooed? I said, of course. You know, they were the given, right? Yeah. Of course. So then I said, what's a reasonable amount of time to work? Two days? Cool. I won't like cram in all these appointments. I'll work these two days. I put out the feelers a couple months ago, maybe six months ago. Booked up the days. And I was revisiting my note in my phone and my schedule. And I was like, there is half a day that's not booked. That's crazy. So I threw it out on uh, online. Yeah. A number of people wanted to get. So I booked the spot. Then I'm like, I'm like, dude, there's something I'm forgetting. There's something I'm forgetting. And it was because it was so incredibly obvious that I was going to tattoo the members of this band. I forgot to even write it in the note. So I double booked and I start backtracking and I was like, well, Did you have to add a day. That's what I started to do. Yeah. And my wife goes, Jordan, uh. <laughs> that's dude. Like, no, like a good wife who can call you out on that. She is. That's she good. is. My wife is a four. Okay. Uh, you said and, she's a musician. She is. She is a songwriter here in Nashville. That's cool. 
Carly Brill, and uh, that is why we moved here, actually. Okay. So we were in Southern California before this. Yeah. Sorry, we can circle back. Uh, so you started to add a third day in Austin. You were double booked. In the mature part of me, and the Jiminy Cricket that is my wife said, dude, refund the guy's deposit that just booked and just say you had a scheduling conflict. I was trying to like move all this crap mm. around. And it's like, why? Nobody's world's going to end if I can't add to them. And plus, I'm like, did you struggle with like, I'm going to disappoint these people? Oh, of course. How did you deal with that? Nobody's you know, world's going to end, I guess. Yeah. Nobody's world's going to end. Um, it was a gentleman I'd actually tattooed here in Nashville, but I guess, I don't know why he was in Austin. Maybe that's where he lives, hmm. whatever. And I was just like, you know what, man? I um, can't remember exactly the wording that I gave the guy, but I was just like, dude, I thought there was time and there's not. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and refund your deposit. Like not asking like, is this okay? I know it's okay. The guy will live. Yeah. I'm not taking his money. I'm not doing anything. And, you know, keep in mind, mentioning the Enneagram earlier, I found out I'm a, what's called a social one. Okay. So all of these things of like doing the right thing all the time, always trying to be the best version of myself, it's not translated into this like selfish, um, although it is intrinsic, it's not about me. It's about actually like other people. Like sure. my wife gets to stay home and I hustle, dude. Right. I work very hard so she can do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't like, I hate money. That's something I say all the time. Like, yeah. You know, I just rather live a frugal lifestyle than have the pressure of making like this just disgusting amount of money. And doing something you're very interested in. Yeah, yeah. doing something I'm interested in and being... That's uh, common for people in our... I don't I don't know if, if that's age or demographic or whatever, but like I don't need a three-story house. I could support myself and do something that gives life to me and other people, and that's way more important. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Chasing a check is... It feels pretty empty, but that's my perspective. I totally agree with you. I think it's because we we know what life was like before you could have everything. You know what I mean? Before you... Remember when it was hard to get a credit card? You know, in the early 2000s? Now, it's not hard. So you got credit card, Amazon Prime, Netflix. Everything is instant. You and I know life without that, without high-speed internet. High-speed internet came out in like 2004 or something. I, did, I can hear the gurgle of the dialogue line <laughs> in my head right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> like gargling water. <laughs> you know, I think it could pass for a lullaby for us. <laughs> Remember oh, when you'd like go is. on and you'd be like, <laughs> you and your friends would be all like sitting around the desktop computer with like Windows 93 or whatever. And you'd be like, dude, I, dude, I can't make this up. There's this website called farts.com. <laughs> and my little cousins and I 
we would like be like, oh, dude, we're going to go to farts.com today. And we're going to like look up the funny pictures and you'd like click on it and you'd be like, all right, now let's go do something while this picture loads. An load. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was like, dude, like what were they like 110 kilobytes sure, or something like these tiny pictures? And why did they take so long? I don't know. But I think yeah, something about that. Line. We're just like, it's not all it's cracked up to be. In fact, you know, um, some of my favorite uh, books I've read about creativity and about the pursuit of a, a craft. It's like sacrifice everything else. You know what I mean? Not at the expense of everything else, but like here's something I remember reading in a book. When the word priority was created, there was no such thing as priorities. You have mm. one priority. So if you look at everything in your life and you boil down, like, let's say something as generic as, I would like to be happy. Well, what does happy mean? Does it mean life's always convenient? Does it mean I have a lot of money? No, I think what a lot of people are looking for is probably freedom, right? Like, I want to go on vacation. If my boss can't stop me, like me being a tattooer, that's happiness for me. I sacrifice a lot in order to make that happen. But, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, it does translate into hmm. happiness for me. I don't know if you can relate of things that you forego in order to live the lifestyle that you want. You know what I mean? Rather than inflating everything all the time, you know, people mm -hmm. get a bigger paycheck and then they're like, oh, now I need a, I can afford the payments on a more expensive car or a bigger yeah. house. And it's like everything just scales up, but you're not actually changing your life. You've never gotten any closer to your goal of becoming happier. In fact, you could actually argue the opposite. You're putting yourself in more and more and more of a hole or pressure from others. You know, I remember reading Dave Ramsey book and he's like, miss a car payment. You'll know who owns that car and it sure is not you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like my wife and I own a used 2014 Honda POS. <laughs> yeah. I've and we, yeah. <laughs> Mine was a Buick, but similar model. And it's awesome, dude. It's, uh, we drove it to Austin, as a matter of fact. We road tripped it. Why Great. not? We love road trips. Yeah. I get my audiobook from the library for free. I just did that for the first time this past week. What were you listening to? Uh, it was your first audiobook or uh, the first, first library? One I tried through the I use the the Libby app um, yeah that's the move yeah what were you listening to on the drive I listened to the woman in the window by AJ Finn I believe okay my wife you know what I would listen to if I were on my own is a little different than you know getting my wife into it too she yeah. doesn't dig the science fiction stuff as much as I you do. You read a ton of sci-fi and, and fantasy and like paperbacks, don't you? I do. Yeah. yeah. I, I see you post about them a lot and they're all like, the covers are incredible, like 70s painted, like 
bizarro no rules no rules dude yeah i love it yeah man this has been fun we have barely even talked about how you ended up being a tattoo artist mm -hmm. and i'm not mad about it at all that's great we're going good places which is the whole point you know um when did you decide because didn't you didn't you work as a chef and and do culinary things for a while too i did culinary things culinary uh, things i went to the french culinary institute in new york city okay um and pursued that i mean french is just like you can cook anything using French technique. And that's basically what culinary okay. school was. Um, dude, as I mentioned before, like few people work as many hours, like nose to the grindstone as I do. I've yeah. just like, I'm always like, yo, you will not outwork me. You know what I mean? Like you might have better skills than me or have more experience, but you will not outwork me. I had a professor who talked about how he was not the smartest person in most rooms, but that he would, uh, he was more patient about it in his work ethic. Like, it's not competitive necessarily, but I will sit in this chair for six hours and read this book cover to cover and like just the dedication to just work through it. Mm -hmm. So you talk about not being outworked. Um, two questions. Is, does that feel like it's a competitive thing, like spurring on with other people where you're trying to outperform somebody else or, okay. No. It's just um, drive. Yeah. Because as much as I say that and it sounds very confident, it's actually like, it comes from a place of like extreme self-deprecation, like I do that. A bar, a I do that you. because I know I'm not good enough. You know what I mean. Uh, so the, mm. I took that work ethic to the culinary world. Mm -hmm. I worked my way up the ladder very fast. Um, from the time I graduated culinary school, and I had worked in the food business for years prior, okay. but. For being as green as I did, I ended up being uh, running a restaurant wow. in New York City, a gastropub, wow. a new one, uh, when I was 25. Hmm. Dude, chef de cuisine, executive, whatever you want to call it, dude. Yeah. I wrote the menu. I did the schedule. I did the ordering. I did the, you know, uh, prospected, you know, new vendors and all that stuff. 25 years old, dude, working 70 hours a week. That's so much work. So much work. I was living in Brooklyn, commuting to, uh, you know, uh, Duke Ellington Boulevard, uh, Manhattan, you know, way up there, 90, whatever, 96, I think. And I was just, I burnt out, dude. Yeah. And this is like, I don't even do drugs or drink. Like, it was literally, I have nothing left hmm. in the tank. And around that time, I meet my wife. She was in New York. She was in New York. Um, I, so I was basically, I won't get into like the CD details, but basically I was learning to tattoo 
with the idea of I am eventually going to phase out of this because basically as soon as I graduated culinary school and got hit with the reality of the culinary business, I was like, I don't think I could do this for 30 years. And I love, I meet people all the time that are like, love it so much that they can do that. But I can't breathe it, man. You are like, it doesn't leave. You're in it all the time. You're in it all the time. Yeah. Now you could say that the same thing about art. Being an entrepreneur, it actually, it's even worse. You can't escape it, dude. You you cannot run away from art. It pl- It's a plague, dude. You know what I mean? It's like I... I haven't done it yet. I haven't hit it, whatever it mm-hmm. is. I haven't... And then, dude, not even mentioning the comparison, you know, the comparing yourself to other people. Yeah, that's that's hard. But eventually, uh, I looked ahead. I saw that. I looked at the things that I wanted out of life. I wanted a family, probably a large one. I knew this girl that I met. Uh, I wanted to marry her. And I knew that I wanted to be around in my children's lives. That's one of my dad's big regrets. He spent mm-hmm. so much time working nose to the grindstone and thinking he was providing and being like this martyr of, mm-hmm. you know, the epitome of hard work that he wasn't around, you know? And he's mm-hmm. like, man, if I could go back and trade, he's like, dude, we'd live in like, you know, a tiny house and, you know, like just a piece of crap and we'd probably have been happier, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I decided that you know, 30 years down the road, it wasn't going to be a happy picture. And, you know, I've been making art since I was very young, you know. Um, And around that time, like after I graduated culinary school, now all of a sudden I could like have these visible tattoos that I'd always wanted my whole life. So, um, yeah, I got sleeved out super fast. Two leg sleeves and a full arm sleeve in like two years. Wow. Something like that. Wow. Something like that. That's a lot of time in the chair. A lot of time in the chair, a lot of pain. And this is while I was working 70 hours a week, dude. So how you, how things healed. They didn't No, It was, (laughs) it was a joke, dude. (laughs) But anyway, uh, I, I talked to my wife. I said, um, I think I could do this. And, and a a number of tattooers had told me like, dude, you're in the wrong business. As a matter of fact, one of my friends, uh, Mike, um, he's a tattooer in New York. He was like, dude, he had the same tattoo as me. I, you see right here, I have a chef's knife tattooed on me. Uh-huh. My 10-inch Wustoff Classic, which I still have. I still use it every day. He had the same thing. He was like, dude, I was like a sous chef. He was like, dude, tattooing, it's awesome. Like, if you're mm-hmm. a good fit, it's awesome. And he's like, with your, him and a couple of other people, which I'm very grateful for, um, they were like, dude, with your work ethic and like, you kind of get it already as far as like how the art side, specifically American traditional tattoos, how it's supposed to look. You could do it, you know? Hmm. So I talked to my wife about it. Yo, I think we should do this. Uh, We are going to be so broke. You can't even imagine, but I think we can do it. And my wife agreed and broke. We were, (laughs) we were so broke, dude. So did you start apprenticing in New York? 
uh, yeah, to be all my cards on the table, um, I did not apprentice. Okay. I am a self-taught guy. All right. So I just made it happen. Um, okay. I was offered an apprenticeship in New York. Okay. But I was about to get married and move away. So I actually basically said no. Was that moved to California? It was moved to California. Yeah. I didn't know anything about California other than that I'd visited there one time and it felt like I was on vacation, you know, because like sure. warm weather, palm trees. Yeah. I only associated that with like spring break in Florida, you know, yeah. so it seemed great. And then once I got there, it wasn't as, you know, not all the glitters is gold. <laughs> but uh, that's, remember I talked about that shop in Whittier, Grace. Oh, yeah, sure. My buddy Josue was like, dude, I think you're like this close. I just need to like show you some stuff. Hmm. And he was exactly right. Wow. He showed me a couple of things and I was like, Oh, I can tattoo now. Like, I mean, that, that, that's a good, that's a good friend. Oh my, you know, <laughs> dude, I tell him all the time. Like why? It's easier not to, not to say that. Oh my gosh. And you know what? Like I tell every single person that thinks they want a tattoo, dude, no, you don't. Ain't no young person want to work this hard anymore you know what i mean Hmm. Hmm. so for them to have said hey i think you would be a great tattoo artist and for them to say hey you can do this and hey you actually uh you know you just need to work on this stuff i mean dude you can't put a price on it yeah that's incredible so how long did you work with them at grace not very long, um, you know, broke is an understatement. I literally couldn't pay the bills, no matter how much hustling. I was doing like tattoos uh, larger than the size of my hand for like 150 bucks, you know, sure. something that I would charge, you know, three times that now, yeah. something like that. Um, couldn't do it. So we moved to um, a cheaper area where my wife is from. We lived with her parents. Uh-huh. I found another tattoo shop that would take me um, because I had been like guest spotting there on the weekends, just tattooing like my wife's family members or whatever. And uh, then a spot opened up and they offered me like full time in the owner, Jacob Donnie. He's still a friend of mine today. I consider him like my main mentor. Wow. He taught me about drawing things from scratch he taught me about how to treat a client. He mm-hmm. broke entitlement in me. Um, what do you mean by that? Oh my gosh, I was so entitled, dude. Uh-huh. I'm amazing, you know, or at least people tell me I'm good enough, especially with the internet, dude. Yeah. If somebody tells you you're awesome on Instagram, never listen to it. <laughs> That's my perspective. But... uh I was like, dude, I came up with six new designs today. Why doesn't anybody want one? That's entitlement. Mm. Why won't you pay this amount of money so I can pay my bills and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's the biggest problem in tattooing right now. Mm. Everybody's just like, I drew this like. Doesn't it have inherent value? What's that? Doesn't it have inherent value? Isn't it special? To me, it does. Of course. I think that about everything that I make, but, you know, chicken scratch. 
And yeah, but you can also look at it and say, you know, it was a stepping stone. I'm, I'm going to make something better tomorrow. I was talking to uh, I was talking to a, a friend a few weeks ago about this concept of stepping stones and how the no matter if it's the best thing or the worst thing, everything that I've made because we're experiencing time in some sort of chronological way is a stepping stone. I'm not going to stop creating, which mm -hmm. means that I'm never going to arrive, which means I'm inside of this thing. I can hone skills and, and develop and, and mature, but if you just embrace the fact that you're never going to arrive and you're also never going to stop making things because the making things is, is a deep calling, then everything is before something and after something. I've never thought of it that way. That's really cool. That's just how I have to think about it. So that way you have less of your, like, how, how, how dare you not like this? You know, this was, this was the best thing I created today. You know, sure. Get, get your feelings hurt or whatever and just be like, well, I and mean, it's also it also gives you room to be a little bit more delighted when someone does really enjoy it mm -hmm. because it's just oh this is what hey, I don't know you're somehow less less attached to I still have pieces that I love more than other pieces maybe I think some are stronger but um yeah I I, I think holding things loosely is important and mm -hmm. I'm able to hold some things loosely because I'm not done Mm -hmm. if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah you're not done it's it's almost like saying like life like my life yeah you know this is like my life today it's like or it's just part of your part life of, there's yeah. no like i haven't made the painting i'm not ever planning on making the painting but i've made a painting and it's really, I enjoy it. I'll make a painting tomorrow and next week and so on. But like when you start, when you stop thinking about it as the thing, it kind of loosens you a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I happen, uh, I'm not wearing it today. It's I have a like shirt though. Thank you. An another sci-fi book. Do androids dream of electric sheep? You ever uh, heard of that one? I've heard of it. I've never read it. Uh, the it's title is incredible one. and I wish people could see your cool t-shirt, but they can't. So I'm enjoying it. <laughs> um, what was the one um, you thought you were wearing? I have like the sickest Alice Cooper shirt ever. <laughs> I don't know what, how this happened, dude, probably cause of Wayne's world, but I ended up being like a huge Alice Cooper fan. Oh man. Have you uh, seen him? What's that? Have you seen him live? Yeah. Oh dude. Sickest show, okay. dude. He, he chopped big, his head off. He wore a big spider outfit when I saw him. <laughs> He's so cool. Well, I just, I, it came to mind. I listened to this uh, Spotify kind of playlist that he put together where it's kind of half interview. And he's like, you know, he like, and then he's like, this next song like inspired me a lot because this guy's like a genius uh, songwriter. And he would make us full story and tell you a joke, blah, 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 in three minutes. Chuck Berry, here we go. Chuck Berry, yeah. You know, stuff like that. And he'd say, you know, this was the first rock song I ever heard. And then it's like the Beatles, you know. I love that. That's great. And he says on this thing, somebody said, you know, dude, 
you know, uh, what's his name? Benny or something? Alice's real name. Oh, yeah, I'm a real big fan, apparently. Oh, man, I don't, I don't know his real name. Uh, he said, you know, dude, you're 80 years old. Or whatever, however old he is. When are you going to stop touring? He goes, when would I stop touring? And they're like, well, I mean, you know, why do you keep going? And he's like, I don't think I've played my best shows yet. Oh. And I was like, dude, that's so rad. I love that. Oh, man. Some 80-year-old dude in uh, leather pants. <laughs> who's like not over it yet. <laughs> who's not, he's like, dude, I'm going to keep freaking chopping my head off every night on these at these shows and yeah i just saw a billboard for the stones coming into town in october november or something and like i don't know what's holding them together besides magic i have to go on the record here and say they've probably played their best show already i think we all (laughs) but the fact that someone is like no i'm still not over this yeah it's pretty rad yeah um so and I had a bunch of questions I was going to ask, and we're probably at least an hour in. Um, what's the favorite tattoo that you've ever that you've ever made? Do you mm-hmm. have a favorite? I know we just talked about making the thing, mm-hmm. just making a whole bunch of, but like, there's got to be something that stands out in your mind. Well, I have to preface this by saying, everything that I create. I'm already looking forward to the next thing. Like mm-hmm. I don't dwell on it at all. Interesting. Whenever people are and and I'm not emotionally attached to it whatsoever. Like mm-hmm. if somebody's like, Oh, that was great. I'm like, I don't care because I don't think it was as great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's my standard, not theirs. I like, like you've already, do you think it's also because of the stencil work that like when you're making it, you're like, Oh, I've already made this before. No, no. Tattoo, uh, the tattoo has life. Uh, line drawing does not. Mm. You try and put as much mojo in it as possible, but the slight imperfections, the slight blowouts, the yeah. s- small needle marks, the way that pigment isn't always exactly consistent. That's what makes mm. it rad. It's a tattoo. Like, dude, we're lucky that you can get a tattoo. But the fact that we can like choose what it is and like what colors go into it, like I've never been jaded by tattooing. Mm. It's still like so like mysterious to me. So I prefer the finished tattoo over the line drawing yeah. to answer your question. But um you know probably I can't even think of, I mean, larger scale stuff is more impressive, I guess, to people. It's, a, I tell you, for me, it's a heck of a lot easier to work on. Mm. My biggest problem, I don't know if it's just the people in this town or somehow I pigeonholed myself, but my biggest problem is people want 20 pounds of crap in a 10 pound bag. And uh, so they're always like, and then what if it was like this and like that and like yeah. this? And I'm like, dude, your idea sucks. Mm-hmm. whereas if you just take something that I would normally draw, you know, the size of a piece of paper, now we blow it up to a back piece size. Now it's a graphic. Yeah. Now it's that. Cause the idea is actually, I should say the idea is to 
have the idea of it. It's, you don't want a photorealism skull. I mean, if, if you're coming to me, yeah, you want the idea of a skull. Yeah. Sure. Like skulls don't have cracks in them that like go all over the crown of the head, but does it look rad in a tattoo? Absolutely. You know, it's the idea of like, what if the skull was just like cracking all over the place? It's like, dude, that guy wouldn't have a brain, but it looks great as a tattoo because you just like, you look at it and you get it. You're just like blacked out eye sockets, you know, skulls don't look like that in real life. Roses. Great example, dude. Sure. Traditional roses don't even look like flowers, dude. <laughs> but it's like there's something about it. You just like see that rose and you're just like, oh, but it's so strong. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to achieve in tattooing. So yeah, your designs are really strong. I really enjoy. I'm not. Uh, I have a lot of respect for traditional American and all of the subsets, but I don't naturally lean that way when I'm thinking about tattoos, but the designs that I, I see when I follow your, your art online, like even if it's not something that I would seek out when it appears on my feet, it pops up and like the design that you, that you work on is so strong and I really enjoy such a, such a deliberate eye for composition. I appreciate that. I, I am very deliberate about that. Um, we have to I'm be. I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get nerdy about art, you know. Uh, sure. I love the the concept of the podcast as well because that's exactly the way I think about it. I mean, I mm -hmm. have people, and I, there are a number of people in my life, other tattoo artists primarily, where I'm like, dude, you are literally a genius. Like, I will mm -hmm. never be able to draw like you can. You know what I mean? The people that just see it. Like, have you ever heard of like the right and left brain? Yeah, sure. Drawing on the right side of the brain by yeah. Betty Edwards. Read that book cover to cover. Doesn't work. Uh -huh. <laughs> no, it does work. I'm just kidding. It totally does work, but it, it doesn't come naturally to me. Sure. And it comes extremely naturally to other people. I think that's what they perceive as talent in art. I know, I know people that... Like drawing realistically... Or drawing out of their head. I, that is so hard, dude. Like, so hard. And in American traditional, every line has a purpose. You do not do something, I'll just do this, like, scribble over here. Like, you're, if there's a scribble in a design, it's to, like, balance out the weight of it or some. It's, like, so, so, so intentional. Hmm. So, I get very nerdy about composition. I'm like... Where's the focal point? You know, what colors am I going to use to like draw the eye toward the focal point of the design? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just found out about this. I took a course about it, as a matter of fact, by a gentleman named Steph Bastian, and I'm very grateful I did. Um, he introduced me to this concept. It's like a color wheel, and it shows the perceived heaviness or like strongness of each color oh that's interesting it compared like if you are using blue and yellow in a design like cobalt blue and lemon yellow yeah something like that you want to use like 
if we were to break it up into centimeters, like one centimeter of yellow to every seven centimeters of blue. Like because yellow, it just catches your eye so much compared to blue. So even things like that where it's like, dude, I got to make sure I don't like put too much of this color that just like steals your attention or whatever. And then God forbid it's not around that main Mm -hmm. subject matter, like stuff like that. That's really interesting. There's so many like facets and aspects of, of the tattoo design. And especially when you pull color into it and like what it's trying to accomplish and focal point and perspective and all of that. And I think it can get really dumbed down. I'm, I'm glad that we're finally culturally getting a respect and appreciation for the craft in its own right and mm-hmm. as its own art. Um, that's fascinating. Uh, Jordan, thanks for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I'd love to dive down more rapid trails and hear more thoughts and, and dive down that with you. Um, and who knows, maybe we can do a second episode or something like that sometime soon. That would be that'd be awesome. Sounds good, dude. Thanks for doing this.